All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Tales from the Tavern. I am Gamer Mom Luna. I'm a writer at Shadowmane, a voiceover artist, uh, an interviewer, an actual play player, uh, and I am hosting a TTRPG panel at PAX East in March. So uh, if you're watching this before then, hopefully I'll see you there. And if you're watching this after then, hopefully I got to see you there. (laughs) And I'm Jason, a writer at Shadowmane.com and a TTRPG creator. This week, we're here interviewing Jack Birkenstock Jr. from the Bordana Group, a 501c3 nonprofit. We're interviewing about the group and how they use TTRPGs to achieve their goals. Yeah, Jack, we're really excited to have you here. So um, tell us a little about yourself and a little about the Bodana Group. <laughs> uh, sure, ab- <clears throat> absolutely. So uh, as said, uh, Jack Birkenstock Jr., uh, I am a master's level clinician. So I have my master's of human services that I got at Lincoln University in 2008. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you my CV first, then my GV or my gamer vitae as I call it. So um, uh, professionally, I have been in the human services field for uh, I think going on about 27, 28 years at this point. I have worked uh, with uh, inner city education, inner city recreation. I worked at inpatient uh, work with uh, pre-adolescent and adolescent males. Um, my specialty in that arena was I worked uh, with persons who were either victims of or perpetrators of sexual abuse or violence. Uh, they also had, you know, various co-occurring mental health disorders and concerns. Um, then uh, after that, I worked for about 10 years with adults with disability of varying types, whether it be autism spectrum disorder or just straight intellectual and developmental disability. I worked there in community-based settings, again, mostly with folks who had, you know, similar issues to what I had worked at with the teens. Uh, And for about the last 13 years, kind of within all that experience, uh, I have been uh, utilizing tabletop games, both uh, board and RPG, for various therapeutic capacity building and educational purposes. Um, so that I, I think is most, oh, my uh, preferred method of counseling is I prefer to mainly do a lot of CBT interventions, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I do use a lot of uh, Buddhist psychology approaches in my practices. Uh, that is, you know, the use of uh, mindfulness practice, similar to like what a lot of dialectical behavioral therapy would use. I, as I say, I kind of take it back to the trough. Um, where I use a lot more approaches that are based on the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, you know, as a way for people to kind of restructure their 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 lives and the way they look at things. Uh, so that's my CV, my curriculum vitae. Um, my uh, GV or my gamer vitae is I've been playing board games uh, pretty much since I picked up Uncle Wiggly probably at like age four or five, or it might have been Cootie, who knows. Uh, But uh, I I first got my taste for RPG uh, when I was about 12. And I always joked that, you know, at that time, it was pretty much just fumbling my way through a D&D book, not knowing what I was doing, actually to the point of using, actually by mistake, the expert blue box, then corrected to get a red box later, long story very short, long story. Um, but then I uh, discovered the Ghostbusters role-playing game uh, when I was about 16. 
and being a huge fan of that i devour that property and as as i you know uh, i think we'll get into a little bit later on it kind of snowballed from there into you know the person you know now but uh yeah that that's kind of the brief intro to me i'm i'm the executive director of the bodonna group i'm one of its founders uh, I'm also one of the principal therapists, uh, author of our training materials, uh, as well as one of the developers of our uh, upcoming role-playing game, Branch Riders, which has uh, been picked up for publishing by Onyx Path Publishing. Uh, so I think those are most of my beats in that way. I'm sure I'll remember something <laughs> later that I forgot through the intro. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. Uh, so that's great. Sounds like you started really early with the Blue Expert set. Um, what? How did you get started? Was it your idea, like this is a brilliant game, or was it sort of a peer pressure thing, like all your friends were playing? Or uh, it, it, interesting question, actually. So my my true origin, uh, as far as RPG, is I had this really cool uh, neighbor named John, and uh, John was an older guy. He had kids and everything. They were young kids. He was like maybe you know, maybe 15, 20 years older than I was. And this was, like I said, it was about when I was 12. So it was when I was in junior high. <clears throat> and that was about 84, 85, maybe. So <clears throat> I go over to talk to John and hang out and whatever. And I noticed the one day he's sitting there and he has these three ring binders. And he's like, you know, dude scribbling on his porch, just doing whatever. And I noticed that one of the binders was filled with graph paper. And I was and I was intrigued. I was like, "What the heck are you doing with like graph paper?" And he turns it around. And he's like, "Maps." And I was like, "Maps for what?" Like I had no context for this at all. And he goes, "Well, me and my buddies from college, we play Dungeons and Dragons." And I went, "What's Dungeons and Dragons?" And he said, "Well, have you ever heard of the board game Dungeon?" And I was like, "No." So he takes like he basically sets this up and his you know it brings his son out who had played before and so he, he kind of by proxy of the board game dungeon mm -hmm. <clears throat> which i've gone back to play not a great game uh <laughs> a good intro though right uh so that kind of got me interested into the feel of like dungeon adventures and stuff like that and from from that point it was like i said just kind of middling along with it but then when i was 16 the Ghostbusters was the way to get me in because of uh, uh, my best friend at the time. And he and I were both very into the property of Ghostbusters. Uh, I, I don't know if people can see this, but I always had the, uh, the, the, the original three back here watching me as I work. Uh, I've seen the movie well over 400 times at this point. It's one of my top faves. So the property initially got me in and then we went from Ghostbusters and we took our characters that were Ghostbusters and we ran them on an adventure that then transitioned them to being TSR superheroes in the old Marvel phase rip system. Then we went on to play Shadowrun and I literally took my character, John Airedale, character that I include now in every campaign that I run. Uh, because he originally was a Ghostbuster and he was kind of like a rich guy who turned into kind of like a Batman superhero who's named Volver because he threw boomerangs, Volver, to return. Mm -hmm. Then he became a Megacorp owner <laughs> in Shadowrun. And then when we played Call of Cthulhu, all of a sudden it was his ancestor, Thomas Airedale, from way back in the 20s. So uh, my coup de grace eventually is when I went on to play Pugmire, which is essentially 
a D&D dogs uh, kind of uses five ed life rules, but it's post-apocalyptic with a fantasy skin. So in Pugmire, I literally was able to use a character named Airedale because all of the characters have surnames that are, you know, are dog mm-hmm. names. So I was like, yeah, it finally makes sense to have, a, to have an Airedale in my campaign. So, <laughs> and, and again, like everybody, I took a couple of years off of gaming, found another group and just, you know, I got back into it after a couple, two years by running a, not even kidding, 12-person Shadowrun campaign. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. At the time, apparently, I liked charts. So, <laughs> you know, that, that was old uh, Faza Shadowrun, uh, mm. second edition, I believe it was. But, uh, yeah, so, and I, at this point, I, there's well over 60 systems that I've played. There's about 30 to 40 on my shelf that I still have to look at. But, we all do that, right? <laughs> we don't know anything yeah. about that. <laughs> no, not at all. We, we don't all have, go to a secret meeting where we all bring a covered dish. <laughs> Shoot, was that this week or next week? <laughs> I don't know. I'm bringing the mac and cheese. That's all I got to yeah. say. <laughs> so you mentioned that you use both board games and TTRPGs in your work. Um, is there a difference in using them? What would cause you to use one over the other um tell, tell us a little about that <laughs> sure sure I'll, I'll start with board games because they're probably the easiest to to define and talk about so we've found that i mean obviously unless you're talking about games like you know this war of mine or uh um i'm trying to the dead uh, uh dead of winter you know a lot of board games don't really offer a lot of what i or what we consider to be highly emotion based work and a lot of games that are based around like you know emotions or feelings or you know like emotions color uno or you know i mean there's some decent games the color monster is a good board game that talks about feelings but we really determine that if it's more of a capacity building right like soft skills cooperation collaboration negotiation conflict management moving all the way to things like enhancing creativity, developing confidence, critical thinking, dexterity. If it's more of quote unquote skill building opportunities, we found that board games are better for those things that are less clinical and more say developmental because, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole theory behind it is to play a certain game. Like let's take uh, Marvel Legendary is a pretty old title at this point. So most people probably know that. So Marvel Legendary is a co-op deck building game. So to play the game, one, you need a little bit of strategic thinking to plan ahead for the subsequent rounds and the villains that come out. There's a bit of resiliency built in because, ah, crap, Electro's about to escape the city, right? But at its heart, it's a co-op. So you discuss with other players the best strategy and what hand you have looking at in the rounds ahead. So we found that by just selecting what we say is the right game for the right reasons we can say okay we want to work on these areas with a client why don't we use a board game because now this board game like marvel legendary requires all of those skills to play and win the game so basically it utilizes the attraction of gaming the beauty of the recreational hobby to be able to pull clients in to the experience Mm -hmm. but it then becomes well you're practicing the skills by playing the game but we also then mix things like you know small talk around the table being a way to kind of develop social capacities and icebreakers how to introduce yourself or you know what things you talk about 
<clears throat> so we would say that if, it, if it's more capacity building in that area, we typically would use board games. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about uh, the use of role-playing games, this is where we get much more into mental health needs and things that, you know, we separate the word therapeutic into two different areas. There's beneficially therapeutic, then there is clinically therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So beneficially therapeutic is, again, I work in the human services field for anyone that does. I spend 50 to 60 hours on a good week being Jack and I just don't want to be Jack for five hours. Mm -hmm. So mini vacation, I will go to 1920s New York and play Cthulhu or whatever. That's that's like a, a gaming vacation. It's it's no different than playing cards with your friends, going out, singing karaoke with your friends. It's a recreational activity that reduces stress, increases social connection. These are kind of mainline benefits that anyone can gain from the hobby, which we kind of took that and we went, wait a minute, if if folks are getting these benefits, why can't we kind of quote unquote weaponize it a little bit and say, uh, let's for example, say we're dealing with social anxiety, mm -hmm. right? A couple of the pinnacles of social anxiety would be something like, you know, people with social anxiety very much second guess themselves and make a lot of self-deprecating comments. They avoid social interaction because, you know, they don't feel that they'll measure up to other people or that they're like people think or feel negatively about them. So what we can do in that instance is we can use the theme and flow of the narrative and the creation of anything from the setting to uh, NPCs that they run into to the challenges within the game to kind of simulate and give people exposure to different concepts, ideas. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Well, we ran a research study that was just recently, uh, November was published in the Journal of Social Work with Groups. And it measured the efficacy of role-playing games with adults with social anxiety. So this is our focus for the study. And what we did was knowing that a lot of these folks had like, you know, well, my parents were very negative or they gave me negative self-messaging. So, you know, I carry this into my social interaction. What we did was we created, uh, we were playing kids on bikes in the study. So we created like, you know, one of them typical movie small town sheriffs where it's just like, ah, come on, you kids, you know, just let the adults handle it, go on home. But we kind of tweaked it a little bit and made it like, why are you making up stories? Why are you lying? So we made it kind of a mildly confrontational presence. And we didn't say at the beginning of the session, like, okay, everybody, we're going to be using an analog for mom and dad in their negative voices, right? There's nothing <laughs> like that. They, they knew that we were going to introduce these elements throughout the study, and we used safety tools in all of our games within Bodana. So what happened was we engaged this narrative, and people just went along with the play. And in kind of our debriefings, people were like, you know, I had this weird moment where I'm standing here having this conversation in-game, in character, and I'm starting to feel these feelings. And I was like, okay, you know, as therapist, like, Tell me, Tell more. me more about that. <laughs> Tell me more detail, please. And, and they were like, well, I started to have these reactions and I was recognizing that, you know, I was breathing a little bit more heavily and, you know, I felt my pulse get a little bit rushed and, you know, I was feeling like yeah, anger. And I was like, I don't feel like this unless I'm talking to my dad. And then they're like, this is ridiculous. Like, why am I feeling this? This is a game. And, but they're like, but the fact that I'm feeling this means that there's something that I need to identify about myself. So the game 
through play engages people to the table and it's the concept we call bleed mm -hmm. which is either my player identity bleeds into my character portrayal or things my character experiences can then bleed back over into my understanding about myself and we use two phrases we either seed the bleed which is we build in things for transfer to happen or we heed the bleed in case maybe we're working with someone with intense trauma or you know very severe anxiety who may not quite be ready to tackle these things full on but mm. a lot of what we do in Bodana is it's very much story and narrative driven we like to say that uh the game is not the destination it is the vehicle yeah. it is how we get to the goals that we want to work on the game is just a tool it's not its own form of therapy we don't say you know rpg therapy we specifically say therapy blended RPG because you start with a modality chosen for the client, then you find, is there a way to replicate these techniques and approaches that are already research driven within the delivery system of tabletop role playing? Mm -hmm. And we found a tremendous amount of success in, in the work that we've done with people really diving in and like, you know, putting a lot of themselves into their characters, which which is always just fascinating to see your kids as young as 10 doing this mm -hmm. all the way up to folks in their 50s. So. Great. So uh, what's a typical client or group that would work with the Vodana group? Uh, most, uh, we actually kind of work with you know multiple audiences multiple clients i'd say that most of the folks uh that have come to bodana either by themselves or their parents are typically autistic folks um and this is uh it's just kind of been we actually run groups for an agency that doesn't have their own therapeutic program but mm -hmm. we run it for them it's an entire transitional age population on the spectrum so it's all older teens and young adults who are kind of aging out of teen system to adult system. Um, so I would say that's mostly, I mean, we do work with adults. We're actually starting a new adult group that's going to run on Mondays, uh, seven, seven o'clock, uh, seven to nine. Yeah. Eastern standard time, check us out online for information. Uh, but I would say most of what we work with is probably between 10 to 16, 10 to 18 is typically our, our age range. We could work with kids younger using systems like No Thank You Evil or, you know, maybe even modified versions of like meddling kids where you get to make your own Scooby-Doo crew, uh, which is another thing. We have a we have a ton of different games that we use for for different purposes. But that's that's typically who comes to us. And uh, we have some kids that are working through PTSD. We have some folks that are working through anxiety, depression, uh, identity of, of various type, whether it's you know, just finding oneself, whether it's folks who are, you know, maybe working through gender identity. Uh, so there, there's a very wide array of the folks that come to us, but I'd say mo most of the folks that we support are, are folks who are, who are autistic. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so <clears throat> on a personal, not totally a personal question, but it's near uh -oh. and dear to me because this is my area. This is what I do. Uh, my background is in social services, mm -hmm. but I currently work as a training coordinator. So you also <laughs> do training for groups and individuals. Um, tell us a little more about that, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we have a very robust training program that we've been running since 2018. 
the Vodana Group is a certified ASEP provider, which is an approved continuing education provider through the National Board for Certified Counselors, which means uh, we can certify folks who are ACA or folks who are LPC. Uh, we're, we're still trying to find that perfect match to, to hit the social work department. Um, but basically, we, we have multiple different trainings and consultation options available. We uh, have a training series that will take you from no familiarity with RPG whatsoever to running a therapeutic one-shot. Uh, we basically break our courses down into three ways. There is theory, which teaches you a history of RPG, some of the negative press about RPG to give you context for parents, you know, are oh, you going to teach my kid that devil game? <laughs> uh, it's happened. Um, yeah. You know, then we move more into kind of application, which is an entire series of modules about how do we create settings that are not only evocative and compelling, but also ones that can mirror some of these treatment approaches that we talked about. We then talk about making NPCs, how to create compelling challenges. And we kind of top our whole series off with uh, folks working together in small groups to then create their own two-hour therapeutic one-shot that they practice running for other therapists. So you also get the experience of being one of those clients receiving therapy. I've been a, I'm a comprehensive, I've been a crisis management trainer in like four different crisis management systems. So I've long been a believer that you should feel what you're going to deliver to mm -hmm. someone else. Because again, let's admit we're all GMs here, right? Man, this is a great plan that I have for my party. This is gonna be awesome. Oh crap, they didn't take the bait on anything that I set up for them. Wow. So, you know, we, we need to know what it feels like when we set up these long, involved stories that are going to grab people and then we get to the table. It's like, you know, it doesn't really like kind of sound off. Uh, so, yeah, that that is just our RPG program um, that does offer, you know, we don't technically say it's a certification program because no one technically oversees mm -hmm. the use of RPG as, as a therapeutic approach. So we personally feel that it, it would not be accurate to refer to it as a certification program. We can give you a certificate. You which, get a certificate yeah. of attendance and there's a big difference. <laughs> there is a huge difference, yeah. Um, now that's RPG. We also offer a specialized two-day board game training that will teach you how to select games, learn games, because there's a science there, uh, how to teach games to others, then also how to augment them. And the way we design the training experience is you actually can uh, book it with us to get a starter library set of eight games, each in a particular capacity building area to kind of, you know, start you out. <clears throat> and then part of the course is that you are taught games by the facilitators but then part of your assignment is we're just gonna give you a game brand new out of the box yeah go ahead learn it by yourselves and then prepare to teach it to another group of, of trainees um we also offer different system trainings so let's say you don't want to only use DD and there's multiple reasons why you might want to go to other systems mm -hmm. we teach pugmire the kids on bike series and no thank you evil in special uh expansion trainings as we call them, so you can add more systems to your tool belt. <clears throat> that way you you know, fulfill the needs. And we do consultation, so if you're running a program or you're looking for advice on maybe you're stuck in the program that you're running, you can contact Bodana and we can set up consultation with you 
uh, and ways to improve your practice. Like I said, we've we've been doing it for years, and we just love sharing that experience with folks to because there should always be some level of supervision to what we do, talking to other professionals, because this is still very new as, as a formalized approach. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we're watching over each other, not in like a guard way, but we need to be helping each other out in this field mm -hmm. to make sure that we're doing it properly. Because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of risks if you're doing this without, without borders, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. I can see how uh, TTRPGs especially, you could get into mm -hmm. territory that you are not ready to get into really fast without even meaning to. <laughs> yeah, well, and also just a lot, because I know a lot of, like, there's a lot of social clubs ringing up about D&D, &D, like local library clubs and stuff. And, and I know that even though the goal is not explicitly clinically beneficial in those cases, there still are a lot of things that, you know, as a long-term group facilitator as well as a GM, you know, you're dealing sometimes with kids and teens. Mm -hmm. It's a very excitable environment. Sometimes behaviors can kind of get out of hand and i and i've seen you know some clubs go oh my gosh we had a fight <clears throat> you know our thing so it's about like not just hey kids you know throw them a couple of books and dice and just check on them every two hours you know it's not a mm -hmm. casserole you know it's, it's a group you have to give a little bit of oversight to the process to to make sure that you know the kids understand fair play and that there's rules established so it's organized play right. you know what yeah. we call it at conventions it, it shouldn't be any less so when especially if you're doing this with youth yeah right yep. so we can also do that if you want to set up your own program we can help devise a program specifically for you and mm -hmm. and what your needs are so for uh individuals who have gone through this training do you then offer uh support for them after the training sessions Oh, absolutely. Uh, we always kind of joke that if you're a friend or a fan or a trainee uh, of the Bodana model or the Bodana group, you have joined the Bodanaverse. Uh, so, so we definitely do offer support. Uh, some people take advantage of consultation at that point, at least while they're starting out. Uh, but yeah, that that is something that just without question, if they're like, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling with such and such and such and such. Yeah, we're, we're definitely all on board for, for helping folks out in that regard. Nice. Yep. Do you find that uh, in your work there are uh, particular TTRPGs or games that work better than others for for some of the work that you do? Uh, yeah, we, we found them. Uh, currently, we have uh, the availability of, I think we're up to about like 15 different systems. Mm -hmm. And so we've done a couple of different things in, in looking at different systems one we always have to make sure to know about the level of time that we have available because i mean let's be honest D, &D which is a, a you know the ubiquitous system everybody knows it right the truth is if i were to like a standard combat session with a table of five to six players well that's an hour mm -hmm. you know what i mean which mm -hmm. is rolls and damage or whatever well i some people may only have 45 minutes to an hour to run a therapy session and while you can put elements in you know you're to me or to us you're not getting the best bang for the buck so we first and foremost want to look for systems that work within the cognitive level and the learning level developmental level maturity level of the folks that we're supporting as well of course as the wishes of parents because you know parents will say well i don't want no demon stuff perfect kids on bikes mm -hmm. you know it it's stranger things, but we know to avoid certain topics. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that also speaks to the to the nature of genre. 
you know, there's there's a lot of assumption that people are like, well, D&D, everybody loves D&D. I am a huge nerd. I do not like Game of Thrones. I don't care for Firefly or The Walking yeah. Dead. So sue me. I, you know what I mean? But you may have a group of kids who like science fiction. So, and I've seen people try to do, well, I know D&D, so I'm going to just skin D&D and make it science fiction. I go, but it's not built for that. And yeah, you could play spell, uh, star, uh, what is it? Um, star yeah, so Starfinder, you can play Spelljammer, which is technically Star Trek in D&D form. But you could also then look at what are other systems within that genre. And even going deeper, there are certain system mechanics that might speak to therapeutic goals. For example, the Doctor Who role-playing game. Mm -hmm. uh, in that system, whoever has the least violent resolution suggestion is the one that goes first in the initiative order. Would make sense if you know the doctor, right? <laughs> the, the doctor does not believe in violence, right? Now, can't that be a great analog if you're working on a group for conflict resolution or anger management or dealing with adversity, right? Even deeper, and I'll point to Kids on Bikes, which is honestly one of my perennial favorites. The set of relationship questions in that game and how they speak to social interaction. Um, for those of you, the viewers that may not be familiar, I mean, the, the book has a question that you ask when you get your party together. And the whole game is you design your town together, you design rumors for your town, blah, blah, blah. But when you get to relationships, you go, okay, this person at the table, do you know them or don't you know them? Okay, well, if you know them, do you know them well or favorably, or do you know them not so favorably? Then you roll a d20 and you answer a random question, which might be, what did this person do to you that you would never be able to forgive them for? Mm. Now, we all know, of course, standard D&D, &D, you look like a stalwart adventurer in a strange tavern I've never been. <laughs> Why don't we risk lives for each other, though we barely know each other? It, Kids on Bikes then gives this rare opportunity for us to be able to build in maybe prefabricated questions that will touch on a certain area of relationships if we're working on social capacities or the even the aspect of the powered ally that is in kids on bikes now we have kids who are sharing responsibility over a shared character so we're teaching stewardship we're teaching shared responsibility we're teaching collaboration and cooperation to take care of this special character so <clears throat> we we don't say don't use D&D in Bodana, but we, we actually, uh, this is a presentation that we've run at Gen Con, we did it at PAX Unplugged, we do it at Save Against Fear, our own convention, and it's called Therapeutic RPG Isn't Just D&D. And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing where we talk about mouse guard, and we talk mm -hmm. about bread, and we talk about, you know, it, we're very system agnostic in that way that we believe any role-playing game system with proper oversight and content creation and monitoring can be made to inject therapeutic clinical content. It's all an idea of who you're working with, how you're working with them, and what you want to do to work and how you're going to monitor everything. So we, we encourage folks to explore systems uh summer sky stories or golden sky stories i can never remember the name it's a japanese import game that has no combat mechanic your entire doing things in the game is all driven on the relationships you have to other characters and the environment it's brilliant 
when when you're talking about if you don't want violence in your game, you don't have to. Mm. You know, not every D and D game has to be hack and slash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that. So I, I think that over answered the question. But yeah, there's there's <laughs> tons of systems out there. Don't be afraid. Uh, to pick up an indie or a one-shot. You know, zine games are phenomenally popular right now. Those are great for 45-minute to one-hour sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also great games coming out that speak to that. You could actually run the upcoming Branch Riders role-playing game in an hour-long session. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Gotta do a plug, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, you offer several online sessions. I know you offer some uh, live sessions in Pennsylvania. Do you ever offer sessions at clients' facilities? Uh, we have in the past. Uh, we found with the one group in particular that we run uh, the adolescent uh, young adult program. We used to run those sessions there uh, in person. Then the pandemic hit, we pretty much had to pull back and reallocate everything to run completely online and we kind of found in that instance that online worked better for some of the clients within that agency that had transportation issues but uh yeah i mean as far as the direct services that we offer either in person here in New york pennsylvania or the online i mean we have kids from all across the country who are parts of our groups um uh, yeah, we we can also run for agencies. So if you're an agency near us in Pennsylvania, um, yeah, we, we can work out an arrangement to run groups for your organization if you don't have folks to run on your own. Uh, like, like we say, we can either train you to do it or we can do it for you. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, we just want to get the service out to as many people as possible because we've firsthand seen so many of the benefits for it. It, it's just too too many and too much to list. We actually, one of our groups today, uh, the clients all graduated and completed their final project of, of our groups, which is uh, after we've been playing for a while and we've kind of worked on ourselves, we then transition them to learning how to be a game master. So then we always have a two facilitator model for Vodana. Each of us takes one of them kind of like under our wing <clears throat> they develop a storyline that is in keeping it's kind of like a side quest to the main adventure that we're running mm -hmm. so it uses all the same characters but they kind of take a back seat they learn how to run we help them plan their adventure their adventure not the one we want to run and then they get the practice of being a gm with us kind of in the side pocket and and really our secondary goal is we believe that not only is RPG a great way to help someone with issues and challenges, but just the fact of learning the language of gaming. It, it operates as what we, we call it a passport to natural social supports. Because uh, kind of jokingly, we have a lot of kids who come to our groups and we're very clear, this is a therapy group. We You can call it a D&D club if you want, but this is therapy. and. Sometimes when we start groups, someone has something that happened at school or at home and they want to talk about that. And mm. you know, we always have one kid who kind of sits over there and go, can we just play? <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I found a nice way to, to say, we're here for group. We're here to support ourselves and each other. So yeah, we will eventually get to play, but that's not the only reason we're here. If you really just want to play a game and have fun, there's this great game store down the street from where you live and you can go there anytime to play D&D. But we're here to support each other. So yes, we will get to that. But, you know, so sometimes we 
seems like you know gotta have a like a, a heavy hand to that process mm. but yeah we we believe that teaching kids about gaming now opens them up to their local game store or their local library or an after school program or you know just playing with their friends uh one of our graduates one of his goals was to research other game groups in the area to transition from a supported group environment with us to a natural environment now that he knows pugmire dnd and kids on bikes i was like dude you know three systems at this point you got this you ran a six session one shot you're good to go bro <laughs> and you know so that's one of his goals that now again he transitions out of our support structure into doing things on his own so right that's awesome so um your website mentions uh tuckman's model of groups Hmm. Tell us a little about what that is and how it's used. <laughs> uh, good old, good old Bruce Tuckman. I believe it was 1960 or 1961 uh, that Tuckman came out, uh, it, and it's a training that if you've ever worked any kind of corporate structure or most businesses, you've had this training. It's the uh, the forming, storming, norming, performing. Sometimes the missing fifth step, much like Pete Best, the fifth Beetle, uh, which is the adjourning stage. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the basic idea is that anytime that you get a group of people together, whether it's a student project, a work project, uh, a game group, uh, you always form first. You come to the table, no one quite knows exactly what to expect, but you get like kind of, here's why we're here. This is why the group has formed. We are here to play role-playing games. We're here to do a uh, presentation on, you know, how many varieties of apples there are to eat in the world. You know, whatever it might be. And what we find is within that stage, people come together and they start to find commonalities with each other. So they start to form, not only as a larger group, but they also start to automatically, because as much as iconoclasts want to say, well, I don't need nobody, I don't need nothing. Yeah, you do. We're social animals. We all do. We all need a tribe of some kind. That's, that's how we're wired. So when we get into this forming stage, we then enter into storming, which is now that we've started to introduce a little bit of task-oriented behaviors, this is where you're going, what you're doing, not dissimilar to a quest in a role-playing game. Now all of a sudden we start to see, well, I wanna take care of this, I wanna handle this, you can't do this, I got this, I'm the best at this, no, you suck at that, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. You know, so that storming, which a lot of people are uncomfortable with conflict, but it's actually very natural and integral to the human experience. If we do not have conflict, we never are discomforted. And a big thing I believe in is that discomfort breeds change. Hmm. We don't change until something prompts us to go, eh, that's kind of you know, squick right now, right? So we use storming and monitor storming to see where are the conflicts, who's conflicting, what are they conflicting over. But generally over time, you go out in a couple of missions, over time you start to norm you start to understand okay you know betty's really good at, at at interaction ivan's great at you know strategic stuff so you know they're planning out you know what we're going to do in the castle so we start to see people norm into different groups we develop you know different guidelines and different patterns of behavior for what it is that we're doing and then finally, when we talk about the performing stage, this is kind of when like the engine's on all cylinders, right? We, we know who is who and what is what and who's supposed to do what they're supposed to do and 
Man, we are, dude, we are gelling. We are just on fire. As a therapist, I go, oh, are we? Really? <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're going to see, and this happens at the tables a lot. And, you know, even if you look at like, you know, different properties, like, you know, uh, critical role and stuff like that, you know, people kind of pair off, right? It little like buddy cop movies that are going on or comedy adventure duos. I don't know. Uh, so what we do is we kind of break it up a little bit. We might inject, you know, a little bit of storming after folks have started to perform to test resilience or to test adjustability or to be able to kind of identify like, wait a minute, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like, well, no, but we're doing this. Sometimes you don't always have that availability. But again, it's all in a controlled setting. So we can go, wow, these two have really been gelling and they seem to be boxing each other out from these other folks. Why don't we switch those groups? And it's very easy to do it in a story convention. I don't say, oh, I need to split the two of you up because you're working too well together. I might say, uh, the king requests that you're the ones that you're going to the mines. Well, why us? Is he paying you or isn't he? <laughs> What's the deal? You know, so we, we then can even change the parameters of, let's say that after six months, we've completed the arc and maybe, and we give the kids this option when we complete a story arc, do you want to stick with the story as it is, continue it? Do you want to advance time a little bit? Do you want to switch to a different system, make new characters? What do you think? Because we even find a lot of growth and this is part of norming, storming and such. Now that you've run through one character in their arc, what happens when you make your next character? Is it a little bit more insightful? Is it a continuation of what you've learned from playing the first character? But I think a lot of folks really underestimate this model if they're not familiar with RPG about truthfully how intricate a lot of the clinical therapeutic work can be when you really identify what, as we say, what's going on under the hood mm. when, when you talk mm. about this. But yeah, the Tuckman's model is probably one of the first things that I explained to folks again because Tuckman and that you know the, the that whole thing is very ubiquitous most a lot of people know it so yeah yep yeah. so are you looking for volunteers uh we are always looking for volunteers uh most of uh the volunteer stuff that we are looking for at this time uh, is uh, every year, uh, November of this year, uh, November 9th through the 12th, we'll be running our 13th annual uh, Save Against Fear convention in York, PA. We'll be at the uh, York Expo Center. Um, and we're always looking for volunteers at the convention. Uh, now that can take the form of running sessions for us. Uh, it can also be, you know, maybe you run some board games from our board game library, which at this point is like 2,700 games. Uh, thank you all those who have donated to our library, <laughs> uh, including all the all the many like 50 plus companies that have donated um, over the years. Uh, we also look for volunteers in terms of people to work registration or to help, you know, even promoting uh, the event. We do a lot of local programming. Uh, we used to run a monthly board game meetup. Uh, it was for an autism uh, organization that supported families who experience autism. Mm -hmm. And so we would need volunteers to go to the game store, Six Feet Under Games, where we ran it. And basically what we did was we just said, hey, community board game event. We didn't say, hey, meet an autistic person board game event, right? <laughs> it was, 
no, we're just going to go to a game store where everybody goes to and we're just going to play together as a community. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're always looking for volunteers for that, as well as when we go to uh, like PAX Unplugged, when we go to Origins, when we go to local cons uh, that we run the board game library for. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers for quote unquote our away team. Got to work mm -hmm. a little Star Trek in there. Um, <clears throat> but I, I would say also in terms of volunteer, uh, we're always looking for help. Uh, and I don't know if this will uh, careen too much into like a fundraising support question, uh, but we're always looking for folks to help raise money and raise awareness to Bodana. So any folks out there that, you know, if you run a stream, if you run live plays, if you're on any kind of like online content, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, so we do have a Tiltify profile, uh, any help in terms of spreading the word and awareness and to help uh, to help us fundraise, that's probably one of the biggest volunteer helps anyone can give us um, because uh, anybody that knows nonprofit knows the biggest way to support a nonprofit is financially. Mm -hmm. I know it's not the answer everyone likes to hear, you know, the, what's the old thing they say, well, how do you support it? You know, I'll give you money and if you're a food bank and you go, uh, or I'll give you food, your food bank. <laughs> Actually, most people give the canned foods that no one wants. That's why you're giving them away. Give yeah. me money. I have arrangements with people. I can make better use out of those dollars because, you know, to, to we have a lot of clients that because of donation and support, there's one kid who's been with us in group for about two and a half, three years. He's never paid for a session because mm -hmm. his family is, is low income. And we want to be able to, you know, if you're a business, you can sponsor a group for a year for about $6,000. You can run a group for a year, six kids, get group for a week, earmark, will earmark that purely, and that pretty much pays for materials for the kids and for my staff to get paid. That's it. We're, we're, we're not gonna make millions doing this, and that's not the point. Um, so yeah, support in any of those ways is, is definitely, definitely always helpful. Yeah, right. I uh, my entire career just about has been in nonprofit, so unrestricted mm. funds are like a godsend. <laughs> oh, absolutely, folks. So, how much you know would it take to run your business? Well, we actually run on a on a pretty tight engine. So, yeah, yeah. Any, yeah. Anyone interested in, in donating or sponsoring, just you know, I'll give contact information. I think we're towards the end here, but please yeah. reach out. We'll put your logo all up over the website, and you know, we we love support. We've had a very good community that's been very supportive of us uh, since 09, which is when we were founded. That's great. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we were going to ask about how people could support you. So glad we kind of covered on that one. So if people are looking for more information about uh, Bodana Group, where could they find that? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you can go uh, directly to our website, www.thebodanagroup.org. Uh, you can, uh, through that, you can email us thebodonagroup at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, The Bodana Group. You can follow us on Twitter at The Bodana Group. You can follow me if you'd like at Bodana Jack. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at The Bodana Group. Um, we have profiles on Give Butter, great nonprofits. Like, there's so many sites that were mentioned on and, and whatnot to find ways you know, to donate or, you know, support us in that way. But that, uh, you can also check out uh, www.saveagainstfear.com. We're going to be announcing uh, information about this year's con very soon. 
which also, in addition to all the cool information about some of the special guests that we hopefully will have coming uh, as soon as we work out the deets, um, we also have tons of information about sponsorship opportunities for the convention because the more sponsorship we get, the more it defrays the cost of the event, which means more funds come back to the organization, which means we can do more great work uh, as well as, you know, bring in your family and your friends for, for we, we know that folks can game for free at their local game store. We know you can game for free at home, but hey, that $40 ticket or so that you spend money on, that one ticket is one session for a kid that needs it. So think of it that way, you know, that, you know, a t-shirt at 20, that's half a session. Tons of different ways that you support us. We actually have books on drive through RPG, our Wizards, Warriors and Wellness uh, series. We have one on board games, one on RPG. The PDFs are five bucks. Uh, you can order print copies if you'd like, or if you see us at a convention, you can buy print copies and I'll even sign the sucker for you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, and of course, stay tuned for uh, for upcoming news about our Branch Riders RPG. We're hoping uh, to uh, launch our Kickstarter in November of this year at Save Against Fear. Uh, again, we're getting all the stuff down and our editing and our art, you know, and so now, so now I've added RPG designer to my now mm. three and a half inch index card business card with all the things <laughs> that I do. Uh, yeah, many, many hats in, in nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. I'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything more about you or the Bodana group uh, that you'd like people to know? Ah, nothing really that I that I haven't kind of said already. I mean, I can, I guess I could give a little bit of a spoiler about Branch Riders if I if I got moments here. Go for it. Uh, so, uh, Branch Rider is a uh, proprietary role playing system that we designed. It's uh, very easy to learn. Only takes uh, uh, three dice. We use uh, very our style and our approach to the system was we wanted to design a system that was able to be more easily utilized for therapeutic gaming but not a game that when you look at it screams therapy game uh one of our things in bodana is that for years we had in various states of our practice used like the ungame the therapy game or you know all the rolling rights that you have of like you know tell me a time you were sad you know it's like okay this isn't an episode of david and goliath so Sorry, ask your parents if you don't know what I <laughs> Sorry, it happens all the time. But, so in Branch Riders, you are a Branch Rider, which uh, you are a person that can travel between eight distinct realms. And these realms are basically based on genre conventions mixed with a capacity building opportunity. So for example, we have the Heights, which is a superhero realm. Uh, so virtually everybody in the realm has powers, uh, but the twist is, at one point, a supervillain got the bright idea that he could really keep these heroes in line by encouraging people to follow them on a social media app he developed called Cakebook. So now all of your exploits are closely watched by all of your adoring fans. But there's always a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, so that's one realm which then mixes superhero genre with social capacities. We mm. talk about you know, the way we engage with people. So as a branch rider, your battle is to fight the blight, which is anything from hubris to anxiety to depression to, you know, any kind of malady, the blight which wants to create chaos to break the curtain that separates these eight realms from each other 
because the blight had to be contained. Unfortunately, that meant all the people in these realms did as well. So you have to play a careful game of going on missions to try to defeat the blight. And sometimes the blight may be, be a regular person who's infected by it. So you can't just slaughter your enemies. You have to figure out what's going on and find creative solutions. Mm. And we have a lot of nice, cool surprises. Uh, attributes are not actually like your standard strength, dexterity, and stuff like that. We use approaches like creative, forceful, knowledgeable, observant, social. So it's not what you're doing to solve the problem, but how are you approaching the problem? And then you combine that either with skills or special powers called gifts. Uh, but it's a very, very awesome, fun system that has a lot of creativity to it. And uh, we're very excited to launch. We've, we've done play tests. And if you follow the Onyx path, they actually are uh, part of their Discord. There's there's a, a subserver that's uh, devoted to Branch Riders conversations. So we also have on our Twitch and our YouTube, I totally forgot to mention those. See what I'm saying? <laughs> <clears throat> that uh, we actually have a lot of panels and uh, workshops that we have run either online or uh, actually one of our uh, PAX Unplugged panels, ASD at your FLGS, mm -hmm. how to be a good ambassador for folks on the spectrum at a local game store. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a recording that's up on our YouTube channel. Uh, so yeah, go, go ahead and check out. We have interviews with Shauna Germain. Eddie Webb, uh, Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger Games, uh, Doug Lewandowski, one of the designers of Kids on Bikes, uh, amongst other things. So tons of stuff to find out uh, about Bodana. And please don't be afraid to drop us a line. Um, anything we could do to help, if it's all about games, we'll find the right game for the reasons to help uh, you bring characters to life. Awesome. That's that's a lot. <laughs> you got a lot going Absolutely on. Absolutely <laughs> a lot. I'm surprised. Did I take a breath in between those things? <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down with us and telling us all about Bodana Group. It sounds like you um, do a lot of really cool. Uh, I, I mean, I think it sounds really cool because this is right up my alley. <laughs> um, but uh, I think you know when Jason and I first heard about you, we were like, oh, we really got to talk to this guy. <laughs> so um, so thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us tonight uh we really appreciate it yeah thank thank you both for for making the time and again also for the great conversation we had at pax on plug yeah uh, yeah when we when we met it was actually i was running branch riders playtest you were when when we had met there, yes so. yep, yeah yeah it's true it's true. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for for joining us, everyone. Uh, hope you have a great week, month, until we see you again. And uh, uh, Jack, thanks again. Um, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks.